today's episode of the Digging In Podcast. We finish up the book of Mark. Holy cow is right, man. This is unbelievable. You have made it to the end of week eight. Today is the last episode of week eight. And I know that all the way through the Old Testament, for the most part, we were doing seven episodes. And then we would that eighth episode would be a lesson from everything we've learned from that week. And I know that that was a pretty common pattern for us, uh, but this is not going to work that way. <laughs> uh, we're going to just keep moving through the gospel stories. And um, what that's going to ultimately end up doing for us is it's going to give us the chance to uh, do three episodes per book. And then the last episode is going to have kind of the, the summation of, of each book. And so uh, we did that with Matthew and we're going to do that with Mark. And then we're going to do Luke for the first three episodes of the next week. And then John for the next three episodes, which means we're going to have one final episode at the end of week nine. And we'll talk about the lessons from all four synoptic gospels. What are the main lessons that we need to learn moving forward? And so nice job because after, uh, after this moment, after the lessons of the gospels in week nine, uh, week 10, we're going to go and look at the characters, some of the characters of the uh, stories of the gospels just to learn from each of them. But I wanted to get a, a big overall picture of each of these four books uh, before we jump right back in. And mainly because these, what is it, three, six, nine, twelve episodes are basically just lessons from Jesus. At the end of the day, it's all lessons from Jesus for 12 straight episodes. Um, and I'm just disguising them with book titles, but really that's what it is. And so uh, after week 10, uh, sorry, after week nine, the start of week 10, we'll go back in and look at some of the characters and learn lessons from each of these. Uh, stories, just a few, and then we'll move through the rest of the New Testament and then we'll be done. So really, I only foresee this going to the maximum of week 12. And once week 12 is done, we'll take a little bit of a break and uh, we will come back with a new season in a couple months. Um, and that new season will be entirely different. So uh, you guys are kind of in this really awesome little home stretch here um, of looking at the gospel stories and then finishing up the rest of the Bible. So nice work on making it here and nice job making it to the end of week eight with our final episode of the book of Mark. Awesome. Today, man, today is awesome. Today is 11 through 16, Mark 11 through 16. That is going to be the triumphal entry back into Jerusalem that we read about in uh, Matthew 21. That is the, uh, another Old Testament prophecy reference back in Zechariah. And we're going to read from there to uh, Jesus's uh, commissioning of all the disciples. And it's going to be a really awesome sequence. Um, it's going to be actually quite a few different stories. And again, the chronology is very different from Matthew at this point. And we're going to see once again how the author, Mark, uh, is, is actually uh giving us a little bit more um, emphasis on, on a couple on a couple details here. So um, why don't you guys go ahead and actually, I'm going to pray for us and you're just going to jump straight into uh, your Bible reading. So today, again, your, your Bible reading is uh, 11 through 16, chapters 11 through 16. But in order to actually start today, we need our Bible, our pen, and our paper. So let's dig in. 
Father God, thank you so much for bringing us together, for giving us the opportunity to read your scriptures, to learn about you. God, as always, I pray that we wouldn't just learn about you to learn facts and information because anyone can do that, but we're not looking at your, your baseball card to look at your career and see all your stats and, and, and uh, figures about you. No, God, well, actually what we're doing is we are reading about you and learning about you so that way we would fall deeper in love with you. So I pray that as we read words on a page, that they would affect our hearts, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to work within us, to move us and change us on a daily basis, to be more like the men and women you want us to be. God, we love you so much, and uh, we praise you for everything that you have done in our lives, everything that you're doing right now, and everything that you undoubtedly will do in the future. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, guys, I hope you had a chance to actually read. I know that was a little bit different than normal. So if you guys did not read yet, just go ahead and pause it real quick and then read Mark 11 through 16. Uh, This section is full of stuff, but we're just going to go in and start talking about it. So uh, we got the healing of the blind Bartimaeus um, in, in 10. Uh, 46 through the end of chapter 10. And that moves us right into them entering into Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples entering into Jerusalem, just like Matthew 21. And uh, from there, we have kind of the same sequence. He goes in, he um, cleanses the temple. He explains some other things that he did with a fig tree. Uh, There's parables. Uh, Sadducees are asking about the resurrection. He gives the greatest commandment because they're testing him. Mark actually has this, uh, this section in here. Um, if, if you're looking, um, at Mark 12 and you look at Mark 12, 38 through 40. And it's really funny because this is, you know, three verses here that actually cover this entire section of, uh, Matthew 23, one through 36. If you remember, those are the seven woes that Jesus gives to the scribes and the Pharisees. And, uh, and it kind of relates to Isaiah's six woes that he gives to uh, Israel. And the point is that they're doing some stuff that's questionable and he wants everyone to kind of watch out for them. But Mark says it in three verses. And I think it's kind of, it's kind of fascinating because he basically, I'll just read it. This is what Jesus says um, in um, 12, 38 through 40. He says, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And have the best seats in all the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Here's the thing. Uh, he's calling out the religious elite. He's been doing it the whole time. But in this moment, what he's saying is those of you who are not <laughs> one of these, uh, these scribes or Pharisees or Sadducees recognize that you don't want to be like them. So remember this whole series of lessons from, right? We're not learning about people so that way we can emulate them so we can copy them or so we can say, I mean, I want to be like that person. That's not what we're doing. In fact, Jesus warns us against that because there are people who at some level on the outside look like they're worth modeling after. But in reality, they're not. No no human is worth modeling our lives after. Only Christ, only Jesus is worth modeling. In fact, if you asked any major figure of our world's history who happened to also be a Christian, they would say the same thing. 
Don't, don't look at me and say, how can I be more like that person? Look to Christ because he's the only one who can give that. In fact, uh, Paul even says, I want you to, you know, to look and see what I do and, and watch some of the things that I do, but ultimately don't be me. Don't be Paul, be yourself who does these things because that is the image of Christ in me. And so that's, what's really uh, a pretty cool idea here is that he's saying we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't copy after the lives of other human beings specifically because they do one thing and say one thing, but behind closed doors or in other areas of life or within their own hearts, there's wickedness and evil. And so that's a different level of emphasis than the book of Matthew puts on it. But it's the, that's really what we're just trying to do here uh, with all of the Digging In podcast. And it's really cool that it's then confirmed by exactly what Jesus is basically saying here, which is that I, Jesus, am the only one worth emulating. I'm the only one uh, worth following. So don't commit yourselves to the lives of these people. In fact, uh, he goes on in, in the rest of um, this book to continue talking about the the issues that can be that can happen from following um, these ways and these things. Really quickly, I want to mention uh, a really interesting here uh, thing here in thirteen three. Um, to the end of that section and all the way through the next section. So 13.3 through 23, uh, there's some, uh, it's, it's sort of apocalyptic literature. And what I mean by that is that it's talking about the end times. And there's this abomination of desolation that is mentioned. Um, and this is talking in reference to um, the end times and the Antichrist. And I know that this is like heavy and you're like, wait a second, what? Uh, so I'm not going to go too much into detail, but if you're confused and 13, three, um, through 23, don't worry. It's, it is a little bit confusing, but what would be helpful is if you read that next section, 24 through 26, because that talks about the coming of the son of man, which is Jesus's second coming in which he will deal with the antichrist and the end of days. Um, so chapter 13 of Mark is actually kind of an entire, all of it, uh, of that whole chapter is a little bit about the end of the world. And it's a little confusing. Um, but Jesus is making an essential that he talks about it before he leaves. Uh, and then in 14, we get, uh, we get this entire sequence that we're very familiar with, which is the plot to kill Jesus, uh, the actual betrayal of Jesus, the Passover, the praying in the garden. Jesus is Jesus telling Peter that he's going to uh, deny him three times. The actual betrayal happens. The, Jesus is arrested. Um, and then Jesus goes before this illegal council of people. And then, uh, that continues on where Peter does actually deny him. Uh, Jesus is taken to Pilate. Jesus is then mocked and scorned. And then Jesus is crucified. So I, I want to focus just for a brief moment on this concept of, uh, Jesus being mocked and scorned. So this exact section, almost verbatim, honestly, is in Matthew. It's these, almost the exact same verses if you compare them. And I just kind of skipped it in Matthew because there's other things to talk about. But I want to I want to hit for a second on this because this is part of um, Isaiah 53. This is part of the the fact that the suffering servant would indeed suffer, and that he would be rejected by his own people. He would be seen as wholly unattractive, and that he would be mocked and scorned, beaten and abused. And so I'm just going to read this section here. 15, this is Mark 15, 16 through 20. The soldiers, this is right after Pilate delivers him to actually be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace. 
that is the governor's headquarters, they called together the whole battalion, the entire battalion, for this man who had not actually committed any crimes. No crimes. They brought together the entire Roman battalion that was available to them at that time to lead this man. This was the most humiliating way to go. It wasn't just like, you're just going to go die now. This was all of your own people rejected you so much so that it seemed that you were the largest criminal ever in the history of the world. And so the whole Roman battalion gets you, even though you've, you've done no, especially no violent crimes, and they're going to follow you. They take him and they clothe him in purple cloak and twist together a crown full of thorns, and they place that on his head. They begin to salute him, mocking him and saluting him, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, spitting on him. And they were kneeling down in homage to him, just making fun of him, beating him punishing him. And when they had mocked him and when they took off the purple cloak, they stripped him of the purple cloak of the purple cloak and put his own clothes back on him. They led him out to crucify him. Then there's this whole, there's this whole bit about him traveling from that place to where he needed to go next. In this moment where they led him out to crucify him, what they actually did was they attached him in part to that tree, to the cross beam where he had to carry that crossbeam on his back. They didn't really attach it to him, but they made him carry it on his back. How humiliating is all this? The whole battalion following you. Some in front of you and some following you, but you're standing there carrying this ginormous tree on your back. You're dragging it behind you. And as you drag it along, there's still people along, along the side of the street spitting on you, mocking you all the same. Your own people doing it. And you, you're carrying this cross from point A to point B. The thing that you're going to hang on and die, you have to carry it yourself. This guy, Simon of Cyrene, was coming into the country and he wanted to carry the cross. So he helped him. And uh, they took him and they put him on the cross. And they nailed his hands and they nailed his the wrists and then they nailed his ankle feet area in. And uh, there he hung. And then eventually Jesus died, then he is buried, um, and uh, then he has the resurrection. I want to mention something here, which is 16, 9 through 20. In some of your Bibles, hopefully in all of your Bibles, if you're reading this, 16, 9 through 20 uh, is actually, it says, is not included in some of the earliest manuscripts. And what this is referring to is that some of the earliest records or known records of the book of Mark, whether they be in fragments or in giant sections, they don't actually include this section nine through 20, which means that at some later point in time, uh, these, these words were written and in church history, they were accepted into the Bible. And this is not a wrong thing. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to really discuss it. I'll mention the things that are in there. But I'm not going to uh, discuss it because some of the early manuscripts don't actually include this section. A lot of the early manuscripts don't include this section, which means that in the original stuff, it wasn't there. That's not to say that this stuff can't be true. And that's not to say that, the, that Jesus wouldn't do these things. But I, it is my belief that that means that these were added later. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking them down. But what you'll see is the exact same pattern from Matthew, which is that he reveals himself 
in, in the resurrection. And then after he reveals himself, he shows up to a couple of disciples. Um, and then there is the great commission. And so, um, all this is to say it's the same pattern as Matthew, but the original manuscripts of Mark don't actually include those verses. And so where we end is the resurrection. So what I want to do is I want to read these last few words to you. Uh, so that way you can actually see what the final original manuscripts did say and how this book of Mark did end. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him, Jesus' body. And very clearly, or very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the giant stone that's in front of the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had already been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they had laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So <laughs> the ending is, uh, is astonishing, because they, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's how the book of Mark ends. And so whether or not Jesus appeared to his disciples later seems crazy. It seems like it may not be possible. But of course, he, he does. The other accounts tell us that he does. And that's ultimately the beginning of the church. But what I find so interesting is that he, his resurrection is still kind of secretive. He, he's done this amazing job of being such a personal servant. And then his resurrection in this moment is so secretive. And he says, you must just show up at this place. And that's where you'll see him. But it really comes back to this fact of Jesus being the one waited for the one that they anxiously awaited, the king, the snake-crushing Messiah king. That his body was no longer there, that he had risen, he had defeated Satan's sin and death. And he'd done it by serving the people, the people that deserved to die that certain death, and he took it on for them. And so as I look at the whole book of Mark and its speedy writing and its colloquial language, the way it's written for any person to be able to understand, the way that I read it and the way that I see it is I see Jesus as this man who, who was a man. I mean, at some level, he actually was. He's the God man, but he is a man who, who came and he performed all bunch of, a whole bunch of miracles. But as you look through the book of Mark, something that seems like a little, it seems a little different from the book of Matthew is the personal nature of, of what Jesus was doing, of, of who Jesus was. And he looked at people who were outcasts and he looked at people who were rejected and he looked at these people and he healed them. He loved them. And the people that, you know, were very much in the inner circles, the people who were the religious elites, he looked at them and he rejected their theology. And he said, you're almost right, but not completely. And then when those people put him up to the cross, he went there silent, just like Isaiah 53 says. He silently took his punishment and he died. 
because he knew that that's what he was meant to do, that his entire purpose was to come and serve the people by giving his life for the ransom of many. That the transaction that was paid on that day on the cross was his blood for our disgustingness. (laughs) It was his death for our life. It was his entire sacrifice, the painful, horrible work of the cross that would break the chains on us of our slavery to sin and death. That once they are broken, we would have life abundant, free life abundant. So that way we would be able to love him and worship him, knowing what he did for us, being the servant to us. And that by being the servant, he established his perfect kingdom forever. That there's never been a king whose death brought about life. Isn't that beautiful? The book of Mark is written for all times and for all people to show us, to reveal to us the personal nature of Jesus, the snake-crushing, suffering, servant king. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons From series. Join us next week as we open up the book of Luke and continue learning about Jesus. 